Oh. See, it's one thing to know him or know about him. See, this young man knows him. And we'll come to know him more and more and more. Well, I'm just uh, very, faithful, very grateful for this morning. Every time we come together, uh, he's always faithful to manifest what he desires to do. And I thank all of you for being willing to continually to respond because we see that every time we come together, uh, we have an idea, but he has the final say <laughs> of where we're going to go and see the morning take place. But we've had just a wonderful opportunity to have these ten young people uh, from YWAM. I'm going to uh, let Sean go. guy's a little different, or a lot different. I'm not sure how you want to describe him. A lot, a lot. Okay. But a we lot, do look a alike. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Sean. I'm going to let him say this, tell the story. Yeah. So, our team of 10, we've been traveling. Oh, yeah, my name's Sean. Here, why don't you guys just come up for a second, introduce yourselves, and then you can sit down. You can stand up here. How about you say your name and where you're from and your favorite color, My favorite color. or your favorite food? <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Emmeline. I'm Sean's wife, and I'm from Toronto, Canada, or Ontario, outside of Toronto. And my favorite food is um, the bread of life. <laughs> hey, I'm Hannah. I'm from North Carolina, and my favorite color is probably blue. Food or color? Food or color? <laughs> my name is Helena, and I'm from Norway, and my favorite food is pizza. <laughs> my name is Abby. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and my favorite food would have to be carrots. My name is Nicole. I am from Kentucky, and my favorite color is green. Hi, I'm Monica. I was born in Indonesia, raised in California, and my favorite color is anything that's pastel. We have three others. One guy named Jacob. He's from Australia. I'm not sure what his favorite food is. Uh, then we have uh, another girl named Maddie. She is from Vera Beach, Florida. Also don't know what her favorite food is. And then Chloe, who is from Arkansas. I always get Arkansas and Nebraska mixed up, but she's from Arkansas. They're all incredible. They're all incredible. Some of them are sick. They don't have coronavirus. Praise God. But thank you. You guys can take a seat. But for the past three months, we've been traveling around America with the desire to see Americans encounter the love of Jesus. Because we like we know that God is moving all over the world in the nations. Actually, is it okay if I share a couple stories? Okay, cool. So we share these statistics a lot just to kind of like show people that God is moving in the nations. I know growing up in the church, I never really heard about what was happening in the world, how Jesus was impacting people. I'd hear like, testimonies here and there, but it would be like bi-yearly and not like 
you know, like not every day, not every Sunday, but where, okay, the largest growing church in the world is in Iran right now. And it's being led by predominantly women. Like, which is crazy. I know growing up in the church, I never would have thought that Iran would be growing in Jesus, but it is. The the country with the most Christians in it per capita right now is actually not America. It's actually China. And right now, it's said that 10,000 people are getting saved every day by an underground church in a country and a nation where it's it's um, communist, it's dictator-led, it's literally illegal, punishable by death to be a Christian that own a Bible. And the missionaries that are being sent out are not men, but actually middle school girls. So middle school girls will be sent from these underground churches to these villages to share the gospel. They'll memorize portions of scripture. They'll memorize the gospels. They'll go to these villages. They'll spend the night and they'll preach the gospel and people will get saved. And underground churches will start. Which is crazy. Uh, three weeks ago, about a month ago, we, we had an event. It was called The Send. And it was in Brazil. We, our organization, YWAM, we, gathered, we had this vision that stadiums would be filled with young people to hear the message of the Great Commission. That people would come, they would get filled with the Spirit, they'd catch the fire, the zeal of the Lord, and that they would give their lives to submissions. And that the center of the conversation of the church would not be like, okay, like, be patient, be kind, but it would be, where are you going for the gospel? Who are you reaching for the gospel? The Great Commission to be sent out to go to the nations of the earth, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, saving them, seeing people healed, seeing people delivered and saved and entering the kingdom of God. And so in Brazil, we, we were like, okay, God, you're going to move. We know that you're moving in Brazil. We want to do the send. We want to have a stadium gathering. What are you saying? And the Lord told our leaders to get the biggest stadium in Brazil. They were thinking of getting a stadium that held 40,000, but the Lord said, your faith does not match the level of hunger in Brazil. And so he said, get the bigger stadium. And so they got the biggest stadium in Brazil, the third biggest stadium in South America, called Motomi Stadium, which held 80,000 people. They bought it, they started advertising it. They literally posted one advertisement on Instagram saying, Murumbi Stadium, February 20th. Registration is open now. Five hours later, they got a call from the stadium saying, there's no malfunction with our computers. We've checked. The stadium is at capacity. And they said, are you sure? And the stadium said, yes, we're sure. And not only are we sure, but you, you set record time. And he was like, what do you mean? They said, the stadium sold out faster than it's ever sold out before. The previous record holders were cold playing U2 when they did a Unity concert at Motobi Stadium in Brazil. So they said, okay, what do we do next, Lord? The Lord said, get the smaller stadium. They get the smaller stadium, full, 40,000 people. The Lord said, get a third stadium, the third stadium, full. Literally, on the day, on the day, 140,000 people gathered. 
the average age was 24 years of age. And there was still a 100,000 person waiting list. Praise God. 7,000 people got saved that day. I'm pretty sure upwards of like 50,000 young people got commissioned to the nations, to their university campuses, to their high schools. Like 50,000 people were starting a Jesus fast, which is a 40-day water fast. Like I think 70,000 people signed up for a Bible plan to read the Bible in a year filled with teaching and stuff. It was like It was insane. And all that to say... God is moving in the nations. Like, the hunger around the world is insane. By the year 2035, every language on the earth will have a portion of Scripture. Which is, again, has never happened before. Like, we are in the generation where every language on earth will know the gospel, will know the good news, will know of Jesus. Also, by the year 2035, it said that one in six people in the world will be an African Christian. And that means that there will be so many Christians in Africa, in the continent of Africa, that if you pulled seven people randomly from around the world, one, one, or six people around the world, one in six, one of them would be an African Christian. There is revival in Africa. <laughs> there is revival in Brazil, and there's revival in America. It's happening. And our, our team of 10, we just went across 16 universities in the Northeast. Uh, Harvard, Yale, a bunch of others, but those are just obviously like the like Ivy League. Those are incredible. And we saw so many salvations, it was insane. Like... It's unexplainable. We literally would do a worship event. I would get up. I would preach a message on courage to be courageous and that like we need to overcome fear, preach the gospel, and people would give their lives to Jesus. And it wasn't because I was a good speaker. Like It's not because I have eloquent speech. It literally is the power of the gospel. There is a third great, awa- great awakening happening. It's beginning. It's begun. Revival is happening, but it's literally up to us And it's so encouraging to me, I think, to our team to be here in Vermont where it's like, oh, it's so hard, it's so dark. Everywhere is so hard and so dark. But Jesus never looked at a situation, never looked at a people group. He knew he was about to get killed by his own people, and he was like, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. They're going to murder me, but the harvest is ripe. But the laborers are few. And so it's never been a harvest problem. It's never been about the harvest being not ready. It's never been about the harvest not being ripe enough. It's always been a laborer problem. It's always been there's not been enough laborers. And so honestly, to encourage you, like you are the laborers. Jesus has equipped you. I've been a Christian like for four years now, maybe, not even, three years. Like I grew up in the church, but I haven't followed Jesus until literally the past three years when I went to YWAM and I saw People like you guys living out the gospel, giving everything, saying yes to Jesus, whatever the cost. And I was like, okay, this is worthy of laying my life down for. I was a drug dealer. I was addicted to porn, 
addicted to all kinds of stuff, addicted to cigarettes. Like, I stole a lot of stuff. Like, my life was a mess. But in a moment, Jesus changed everything. Like, and I know, like, I know that's all of our testimonies. Like, literally in a moment. Literally in a moment. And three years later, I, I'm not, I never went to seminary. I probably am not the most qualified person to be standing behind a pulpit or preaching the gospel to university students. I, ne- I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. And here I was in Harvard preaching the gospel. At Yale, preaching the gospel. Like, at these prestigious universities leading people to Christ. And I'm like, God, if, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And uh, one of the stories that I preached a lot on was, was Mark 5, which was the demoniac. Who, Jesus comes, crosses a, a lake, comes over, frees him in a moment. Legions of demons leave. And the demoniac, when he's set free, is like, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus is like, no. Which to me, I'm like, what? Like, everyone's always like, okay, you saw all these people get saved, delivered, healed. What's your 10-year plan for their lives? And I'm like, what was Jesus' 10-year plan for the man that had legions of demons? Send him to the nations. He literally said, it said, go into the Decapolis, which is the 10 cities, and tell of the grace of God, the mercy that God has had on you. And he goes, and you never hear of him again. Like, I, I just can't imagine what he did. But you don't need the 10-year plan. You need the encounter with the love of Jesus. You need the freedom of Jesus. And then get sent. Go. Not necess- Like, don't come to YWAM. Or come to YWAM, don't come to YWAM. I'm not going to say don't come. I don't know all of your lives, but... See people saved. Share your testimony. Like, that's what he's calling you to do. That's all, like, that's it. You've been saved. Jesus' last words were go. But we, we don't talk about it very much. Like, and I, I love this place because it's so uncommon. I feel like people don't realize how lucky you are to be here. In a place where it's like, get filled, zeal, fire, joy, and now go serve. Now go preach the gospel. Now go heal the sick. Now go cut, like, I don't know if there's lepers here, but like, go cleanse the people, whatever. Addiction, drugs, all the stuff. Go do it. And be courageous. Be courageous, please. Like, for my generation, for your generation, like, the, the next generation, like, be courageous. Because it's in that place of courage that you actually see stuff, like, the crazy stuff come to pass. Don't wait for the seminary. Don't wait for the school. Don't wait for the person to call you up. You have permission. You have permission. Go to, like, please, please go today. Like, take that first step. That first step is the hardest step of sharing the gospel with someone that you've never met before or with your family member that doesn't want to hear it, doing it again.
and again, and again, and again. But it's that first step, that, that leap of faith that God meets you. And then that's when, like, that's when you become an evangelist. <laughs> that first step. And if you're in a funk, and if you feel sad, or just like, man, God, you don't, you don't hear me. Like, you don't, where, where are you? Like, okay, like, I'm in a rut. I'm in a desert season. Preach the gospel. See someone get saved. You will not be in a rut for much longer. See someone healed. See if you're in a rut anymore. See someone take off their cast and throw it away. You will not be in a rut anymore. You will walk away from that experience and you will say, God, whoa, you really, wow, okay. Wow, 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 wow. And so, that's, that's really, that's all I have. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything you feel in your heart. If you want to share any testimonies. Oh. Okay, okay. So we were at a school called Westcon, Western Connecticut State, and they had gathered like 300 people in this big auditorium, and before every event, we go out, we take flyers, we, our event's called Carry the Love, so we, go, we put on a Carry the Love tour, and so what we do, I'll explain a little bit the tour before, but we'll come to a university, We'll get flyers. We'll go hand them out to people around the campus. We'll go to our room that the, our hosts have booked. Then we'll do worship. Then we'll do a message, preach a gospel, do altar calls of like healing, like baptism of the Holy Spirit, obviously salvation, all that stuff. And then that's the night. It's, it's, like, it's like a service. And so we got to WestCon. We started flyering. Some of our guys, they went to this game room on the campus. They handed this guy a flyer, and he came. And so after the night, I was talking to him, and he was like, and this guy came up to me, he gave me a flyer. and I was like, what the F is this? Like, yeah, he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. He was like, I totally was BSing. Like, I was just yes-manning you. Like, I wasn't going to come. But the, like, the closer and closer it got to the event, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see what these Christians are doing. Maybe they'll be like selling some stuff. They'll be handling snakes. I'll, I'm just going to go to laugh and have a good time and like kind of mock. And so he came, and during worship, he was like standing in the front. And during worship, one of the singers gave a call for depression and anxiety. If you had it, that we were going to pray as a family and like go to war on your behalf see it obliterated in your life. And so he ends up raising his hand. I and a couple others came up to him, started praying for him, and he starts weeping. And I was like, bro, what's going on in your heart? And he was like, dude, this is crazy. don't know why I'm here. I don't even believe this stuff. But, like, my, my stepmom and my dad just got a divorce, and my stepmom took all of our money. I was here to use the computer lab to, like, look for jobs so that I could, like, make some money for our, like, our fam- like me and my dad. We're, like, living in an apartment, don't even have money for rent. And so he was like, I don't know what to do. And so we prayed. 
he's weeping. I was like, bro, let's talk after this. He's like, okay, whatever. And so we sit. Uh, one of our friends preaches the gospel, preaches a fire message. He ends up coming up to the front, giving his life to Jesus. Hallelujah. And then we were just talking and just like sharing about Jesus, the gospel again, like going more in depth. And he's like, man, I don't, like, I literally don't know what this is. Like, I've never felt this way before. I've never seen this before. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know why I'm crying so much. And I felt the Lord, I had like 20 bucks in my pocket. And I was like, bro, honestly, I feel like we can't just be talkers of the word, like, just believe in faith. God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. Like, we have to do it. And so I gave him the 20 bucks, and he just, like, starts weeping. I, like, told our team, hey, cash app Venmo this guy. He, like, is in so much need. Please. I'm pretty sure people gave to him. He came the next day because we have a second day where we, like, break up into men, like a men's group and a women's group. He comes to the men's group. We pray, prophesy, original design over him, like how God sees him, the call of God over his life as an evangelist. He gets filled. He's just, like, wrecked again. He's still, obviously, being sanctified, but he was just overcome with emotion of, like, God really sees him. God really knows him. God is really touching his life. And so the next night, we had a city, uh, a statewide gathering for Connecticut. So all of the schools that we went to in Connecticut gathered together again for a night of worship and, like, prayer. Like, it was crazy. And so he shows up. We were worshiping. His hands are up. He's, like, getting encountered during the prayer moments. He was, like, yelling, like, praying out. And then we had this, I don't know if you guys know what a fire tunnel is, but we had a fire tunnel, which is just like our our whole group like would form a line on either side and everyone would just walk through and we'd lay hands and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire. He walks through and he is getting touched. Obviously, he's shaking. I come up to him afterwards and I'm like, bro, what's happening? And he's like, dude, I literally feel like I'm on fire but I'm not burning. I was like, let's go. Praise God. And so we're like, bro, like, like what, what else is happening? He's like, I need to get baptized. And I was like, sick. We don't have a tub or a pool, but let's do it. And so we were, we were near the, an ocean. And so we were like, Andrew, if you were willing, there's an ocean. Five minutes, a five-minute drive from here, like a beach parking lot we can park at, we can do it. And he was like, let's go. <laughs> and so, like, ten cars, two vans, packed full of people, drive over to this beach. It's like midnight. They all, like, watching the procession of vehicles driving up to the parking lot gave me so many chills because it was like for one man like 50 people came to watch him die to himself die to his sin die to his old self die to his flesh and be risen again in Jesus and so we get to the beach we all pull out our flashlights to like have some light I lead him through what baptism is that like he's dying to himself if he believes that Jesus was the son of God and he was raised from the dead he's yes 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 of course, yes, we, I get into my long johns and my t-shirt. He gets into his shorts. 
we go out into the water, it is frigid, to say the least. And he gets baptized, he comes out, and we all blast him with the craziest prayers. And he, like, it's wild. But, yeah, that was, and that's just one. Oh, God is doing stuff. Oh, here comes my wife. I just feel like I'm supposed to share about brave love. Or day two. So we would have our first day and we would share the gospel. Super awesome. People would get saved. But on day, day twos, we would come back and we would separate the men and the women. And what we would do is men who lead, the men would have a group and Sean and some other guys would lead it out. But we'd also do this group called Brave Love. And it was, so basically the main focus was us like calling out women's identity and breaking off shame, like breaking off the things that women like walk through day to day. Like it could be like rape culture, things happening that girls are so hidden in their shame. Um, and so it was a group, so for men and women to just like call out identity, call out original design, declare like radical freedom and see like chains broken. And so I want to just share a testimony about one of the girls. We were doing, it was actually a day one, um, I think we were at I think we were at Gordon College. Um, where is that? Connecticut, Boston, Massachusetts. And um, uh, we were interceding because we usually go to intercession. And we we're all interceding before one of the some of the nights start. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, "Tonight, sin is going to be exposed. Like hidden things are going to be exposed. Like things like." full of shame, women who have shame, I felt specifically, that things would be exposed. And so I remember during worship, we were worshiping, and there was this girl standing at the back, and she was just weeping. And the Holy Spirit was like, you need to go talk to her. And so I went over to her, and I started talking to her. I was like, hey, what's going on right now? Um, and she was like, she was like, I have so much shame. And she's like, I can't tell you what, what's been happening in my life. She's like, I can't tell anybody about it. I'm so full of shame. And I was like, no. I was like, I was like, it is so safe. Jesus is so safe. And she was saved. Grew up in a, in a traditional Christian family, but, um, and I just, and she was literally shaking, like the shame literally had her. And something I noticed even about university students is that they, they don't want, they don't talk about what they're going through. They're, they're so bound in this, like, this garbage that they don't know that it's safe to talk. They don't know about exposing things into the light. They just keep it in the darkness. But when they have, like, the message of salvation and they have the message of freedom, they're like, oh, I need to expose everything. I need to turn to repentance. Like, I need to, I need to tell somebody about this. So, she ended up telling me just about sexual sin, like really, really hard things, and even uh, abortion, like really, really like deep things that were so hidden. Um, and she just starts crying, and, and I start praying over her. Um, and in a moment, like she literally is like, I feel free, like just exposing it into the light. She's like, there's something happening. Like she like feels this lightness coming over her. And so she starts exposing all of her sin, and it was amazing. Like, she's just repenting of her sin, and it was so, it was incredible. And so the next day we had this, the meeting, Brave Love, and we have all these girls coming in and share a message about Deborah, about Deborah being a catalyst, about, De- like, Deborah knowing her authority in God, sitting under a palm and giving direction to Israel, and seeing, like, the Lord rescue and, and save Israel because of her obedience, but she knew she was a daughter, our identities of knowing that we're daughters and men who lead the identity, like knowing that they're sons. And so the girl, um, her name was Carrie, she was there as well. And so then we ended up having a Boston citywide. So we had all the people come back um, in, in Boston and we ended up doing another Brave Love meeting. And this girl, like, seeing, one of the craziest things is seeing the transform, transformation of students. Like seeing them when we first see them and seeing them late. It's crazy. 
And so we had a brave love meeting, and I shared a message um, about a battle cry that the Lord led me in when I, a couple years ago, the Lord was like, Em, like, what is on your heart? Like, what do you want to, what do you want to battle? And I was like, God, because I felt like the Lord promised me because of years of my, in my own life of just abuse, like, just not knowing um, purity, and the Lord being like, over me, like, I'm calling you to a generation that have lost their purity and innocence, and you're going to see restoration. So that was my battle cry. So I remember getting on my knees and crying out, like, Lord, you will restore the ones that have lost their purity and innocence. Um, and so I just share this message. All my girls were there. It was so awesome about battle cry. Like, what is burning on your heart? What does the Lord promise you? Like, let's get on our knees. Let's, actually, we stood on our chairs. Let's cry out, whether it's for women who have been raped, whether it's for sex trafficking. Like, us as women, we have calls of our lives. And so we're all standing on these chairs, like, declaring, like, declaring what the Lord has promised. And Carrie, who was bound in shame, literally weeks before, like, crippled, like, couldn't talk. Because she was so, the enemy has stolen her voice. She stands on her chair and she starts saying, like, she starts breaking off addiction to pornography. She starts breaking off shame. She starts breaking off all of these things and we're like, oh my gosh. And so, uh, yes, salvation is so crazy. Like, yes to Jesus, it changes everything. But not only that, we were able to see women and men, like, surrender and, 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 and expose shame, expose hidden sin and walk in their identities as sons and daughters on university campuses. And so, seriously, university students are so hungry. All of America, even, evangelism, like, sharing the gospel. People are looking for this. It's a lie that they don't want it. When they hear, like, the gospel is enough. And so when they hear the gospel, sometimes, like, even me going into America, because I've been to third world nations sharing the gospel, and it's kind of easy, honestly, because everybody just wants to listen to you because you look different. Um, but in America, I was kind of like, oh, is the gospel enough? Like, should I just share about... And that's just my flesh, right? But actually just sharing the cross. People are looking for an authenticity. They see it on us that we're burning for the man Jesus. We're burning for Jesus, that people want it. And so just to encourage you guys, like, Jesus is moving in America. He's moving in the Northeast. The harvest is so ripe. Yeah. Is this just the tour? Is that the whole tour? Yeah. So I have some numbers. So our tour with Carry the Love, there's like 14 different teams that are all over America and now in Europe. And the total, so the first leg of tour is seven weeks. And in those seven weeks, 28,545 students gathered in Europe and America. 2,156 people responded to the gospel, so got saved. And then 366 people were healed. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't. Is, is it okay if I keep going, or do you have any? Okay. I felt maybe sharing about where Carry the Love started, which is the tour that we do. So, in Kona, Hawaii, there was this group of young people that were like, "Man, we're seeing all of these crazy things in in Africa and in in like some 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 parts of Europe and in Asia, but like." We see the devastation of the youth of America. We see the devastation of, of church in America, of people falling away from their faith in universities, in, in high schools. Like, man, I can't even venture to guess what the statistic of people that go to university, Christian, and leave atheist is. But it's massive. And so the, this group of young people was like, okay, God, 
we want to go. We want to see. Are you done with America? Like, have you removed your hand? Like, are you finished moving here? Like, is it, is it just for the third world nations? Or is it, is it still for America? God, will you still pour out signs, wonders, miracles, salvations? Or is America done with Jesus? And so they set out with that question. And this was like seven, eight years ago. And they landed in California, and they just did like a two-week outreach where they just would go do street evangelism, sharing the gospel of people, young people, in Huntington Beach, California. And by the end of the two weeks, 125 young people had responded to the gospel. And they were like, okay, God, you're not done. You're not done. And so they went to, um, they went to USC, University of Southern California, and they were like, God, like, what do you want to do? And the Lord spoke to one of our leaders, his name was Nick, about doing an event on the quad, a worship event, and preaching the gospel, like right in the middle of campus. And so he would wander around the campus and be like, hey, do you know a Christian? Do you, are you a Christian or do you know any Christians that love the Lord? Like, uh, and he couldn't find anyone. For two weeks, he wandered around the campus every day looking for a Christian and could not find one. And so there was a day he was just sitting by this fountain and he was like, God, like I need you. What is going on? I need you to show up. And he waited there. He waited there. He waited there. He was praying out loud. And this girl comes by and he's like, are you a Christian? He was like, yeah. And she was like, the Lord told me to come and wait here and that there would be a man that loved the Lord that would meet me here. And he was like, I'm that man. Okay. And so she, he tells her what he wants to do, and she's like, yes, let me take you to, this prayer, to our prayer room on campus. And they go. turns out to be a little closet with like seven people, one guy playing an out-of-tune guitar, and he shares the vision, and they're all like, let's do it. What's, what are we going to call it? And he's like, I didn't think of that. It's going to be called Launch Fest. So they call it Launch Fest. And they're like, okay, let's make flyers. They make flyers. And it just says Launch Fest. Has the date. Has the time. And they're like, this is a really boring flyer. So they put a clip art of a space shuttle flying across it. And they're like, okay. So they start posting it all over the place. They're posting it on social media. They're walking around, handing out flyers, telling everybody about it. People are like, what is it? And they're like, there will be new, mu- new music and new people be there. Very vague. And so they start publicizing it, publicizing it for a month. It's coming, it's like a week away. And they're like, guys, no one is going to show up. And they're like, no, we have to, like, have faith, Nick, have faith. And so they're walking around, handing out flyers. And he comes up to this one guy, and he's like, bro, like, we just really love Jesus. You should come to this event. And he's like, oh, bro, I really love Jesus too. Like, let's go. And so they're like, he's like, okay, cool. It turns around, and the dude is walking away, and he looks at a, at a poster or a, like a, a billboard, and he realizes that the guy he just talked to that loved the Lord that is coming to the event was on the billboard and turned out to be the star running back for USC who ended up, I think, winning the Heisman. I'm not sure. But he was like, Okay, cool. And then they, like, a couple days pass. It's like five days till the event. And there was a decommissioned rocket that was flying from Cape, Cape Canaveral to 
like it was either at USC or near USC, and they were like, you know what? Let's fly it over USC's campus. Like, we're just gonna fly it. It'll be cool. And so this rocket, like a actual rocket, like a moon rocket, flies over USC's campus, and everyone is looking at this flyer, like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? And then the star running back is posting it all over his social media, like. Hey, everybody come out. He has like a million followers. Crazy. And so they get to the day and like I think it was like 2,000 people show up. And like the DJ had his laptop. He had his headphones on and he just started playing a Spotify playlist pretending like he's DJing because they had no idea what they were doing. They had like a random church band come together, play some songs, and then... Nick and his dad, Brian, got up, preached the gospel, and like 500 people gave their lives to Jesus. And they were like, why don't we do this more? And so they started one campus, USC, the next year, five campuses. Now, I think this next year, they're going to 500 universities in America, in Europe, and now in Africa. And so the Lord is, in our generation, they are so hungry for Jesus. So hungry for something real. So hungry for truth. What about... Oh, oh. Okay. Are you guys okay? Is it, okay, one more really quick story. So how even, like, the movement started from this was there was this really prophetic woman in our community. And she had... She was sitting in a room and... Sorry. My throat is dry. But uh, an angel appeared to her, like physical angel. We don't. She doesn't like to share the story very often because people that don't know angels or the spirit get kind of freaked out. But an angel appears to her. Oh, bro. Thank you so much. Wow. John, legend. Hallelujah. Living water. Man, hey, that's real, that's real. An angel appears to her, and he's in colonial clothing. He looks like Paul Revere, she said. And he said that he came representing the circuit riders of old that would carry the mantle of evangelism, that would crisscross the nation with fire in their eyes. And he had like a carrying carrying bag with messages that would like fill the generation or fill our generation with like messages of revival leading to reformation and that they would crisscross the nation with fire in their eyes preaching these messages and she was like I don't know what that means I don't know who the circuit riders are what the heck so they researched circuit riders and they were part of the Methodist movement and they when America first came to be when there was colonies everywhere or like houses all around America that had no no access to the gospel, no churches, they would go on horseback, ride hundreds of thousands of miles in the cold, and they would go and preach the gospel to towns of one home, two homes, three homes, and see people get saved. They would meet up, and like just, who knew how many people would, would even be there? Because, I mean, I can't imagine riding horseback here. It's very cold in the winter, but they did it. And so now here we are years later, 
like crisscrossing the nation. We drove, flew from California to the Northeast to see revival, to see people saved, see college students that don't necessarily even have gospel access on their campus, some of them. Like literally have no Christian presence at all. And revival is happening. And so I'll end it there. Lonnie, please take this microphone from me because I will share more stories. Revival. Amen. Amen. <laughs> see, that's so awesome. And see, we've been, we've been speaking to you for a few years in the time of the Jesus movement. You know, we've seen Brownsville. We've seen Toronto. We've seen a lot of places where the Spirit of the Lord has come and revival has come, but then it's left. Well, the Jesus movement, there was a move of the Spirit of God that hovered over an area. And then it began to then increase and increase. And then there was this scattering, if you will, throughout all of the earth. But what's important is, is that when it's the Spirit of God moving, there's an atmosphere that comes. And it comes to the heart of people. Because desperation comes. Hopelessness comes. And it's really kind of a same story that repeats itself. But if you look at the Jesus movement and the love child days, Vietnam, I mean, if you were just to take 2020 and you take back 1968, 69, very similar atmosphere of hopelessness. Nobody trusts the government. Nobody trusts anybody. Everybody wants to be withdrawn. They want to escape reality. So they find it happened to be marijuana and those type of things. But now you have all these other addictions that are a way to escape reality. But that is where God begins to brood over. God begins to brood. And because he knows the hearts of men and women, he knows when it's time to then say it's now. And then he sends those out. And see, the thing that was the most difficult part of the Jesus movement, because we began with two churches. Within seven years, we had 11 churches, 1,100 churches in the United States and other nations. We had an, an apartment building down the street, just down the door from where the church was, and they rented two apartment buildings. And we were trained up every day of the week, seven days a week, training up, because there wasn't enough leadership, there wasn't enough disciples to disciple those that were getting saved so quickly. So, back to Psalms 139 in your story. Why have you entered into the things of your life that appear to be so difficult, either by choice or by other people's choices, where God has come to intervene and you've had that encounter with him that now has altered your decisions? It's changed your view. It's empowered your decisions, like Kathy's been saying for a while now. You have, he's given you the power to not just overcome, but then begin to let your story have that access to those that are desperate. <clears throat> and so that's really what's taking place right now. If you go anywhere in the earth, that's, I'm sure if you were to go to Norway, if you were to go to Asia, it's the same heart cry. No one trusts anyone. They've been abused. They've been taken advantage of. The church has failed them. The government has failed them. But you're the conduit. You're the life. You're the substance. You're the living gospel. It says Jesus came in the flesh and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst them. What is your story? 
Your story is the word that's been written by God being now released in the earth for all men and women to read the power of the testimony, the power of the handwritten story of God in and through your life, that then you have access to bring life, to bring hope, to bring purpose. Amen? So thank you so much for coming. And we don't have time to go into the orchestration, but the short story is, is they were supposed to then go from New York City and the colleges and the places that were all lined up to go, this is again months before they were supposed to go to Pennsylvania. Well, guess what? It canceled. And all of you know Seth. There was one conversation that apparently Seth must have had with Aaron. Oh, and with Sean. Aaron, okay. Must be a mantle of authority there. With Sean. And when they canceled, Seth's conversation came to mind. And Sean said, you know what? I'm going to give Pastor Lonnie a call to see if we can't go up there. See? So God has orchestrated this whole setting, not just that we could strengthen you and impart to you, but also we have Dartmouth College right here. Amen? And so there are things that they're going to be a part of. They're going to be at our launch on Thursday night from 4.30 to 7. Come on. So I just want to encourage you, come, bring people, because this is an opportunity for the encounter of God to begin to display what He desires. That's going to be the altar of His presence. That's going to be a continuation of the place where He can then allow the Holy Spirit both to dwell, but also to use you to begin to meet the hearts and the needs of both the young and the older and all of those in between. Amen? Hallelujah. Anything else that needs to be spoken? Did I forget anything?